Well, I'm actually really excited about today's podcast because we're going to be talking about Halloween. And boy, is this an inflammatory topic when you talk to Christians. We're going to see if there is a biblical worldview that we can understand that lies behind how we're going to participate in the Halloween holiday or whether we're going to write it off completely and which would be the appropriate option for your family. Hey gang, welcome to the podcast today, our second episode. I'm kind of excited about it. I want to talk about Halloween, really talking about how should a Christian view Halloween from a Christian worldview and how should we participate, if at all. And so I thought I'd do a little bit of background research on it and find out what the story is behind Halloween. And what I found out was that it originated under the title of Sam Hain, which is a Celtic pagan uh, spiritual worship festival that takes three days at the first three days normally of November of every year. And the word means in ancient Irish or Celtic language, it means summer's end. And it originated from the basically pagan worship roots. It goes all the way back to that. And uh, in 609 AD, that's like, you know, 600 years after Christ, uh, Pope Boniface IV declared a new celebration, and he called it All Saints Day. And he wanted to celebrate all of the different Christian martyrs who died serving Christ. And he wanted to put it at the front of the summer, and so they originally put it at the front of the summer, thinking that he could head off the celebration of Samhain, the pagan festival that happens at the end of summer, really into the fall season, obviously at the end of October. But that didn't catch on very well, so he thought, here's what we'll do. We'll sneak up on them. We will put it on the day before they have their celebration, November 1st. We're going to do ours on the day before, which would be the 31st of October, and we're going to call it All Hallows' Eve, and we're going to say that what those pagans are doing, they don't really understand, but they're celebrating dead saints, and we're going to do that as Christians, or at least Roman Catholics. And that became the meaning of the All Saints' Day, or Oh, all Hallows Eve. And Hallow comes from the New Testament. If you have the old English of Matthew chapter 6, we start the Lord's Prayer with what? Hallowed be thy name. What does that mean? Sanctified is thy name. What is saint? Sanctified. So hallowed or Halloween is the evening before All Saints Day. That's the whole idea. Hopefully that wasn't confusing, but that's how it's evolved over time. But the key is that during this celebration that the pagans did, the, the Celtic pagan celebration, it is deeply rooted in forms of supernatural evil. And even to this day, witches and the official Wiccan doctrine in wherever they write those books, according to the research I did, believe that because it is located between the summer solstice and the winter equinox, it is a special day where the two dimensions of reality come closest together, which is the unseen or spiritual realm getting close to the physical realm or the, the visible area. And those are known as portals, portal times, where you can go between the two. And it is believed, and there's some evidence in the Bible to some degree, that this is actually a reality, that there are times and places where the, the spirits in the netherworld can actually become a part 
of this world, and they do it in these portal places and portal times. And the Wiccans believe that this is the case. About 15 years ago, a police officer who was attending our church told me that for the, the week following Halloween, they would find all kinds of animal sacrifices in like drainage ditches and old fields and things like that. And it's pretty spooky. But what his conclusion is, and the police department's conclusion was, yeah, there's animal sacrifice and ceremonial, satanic ceremonies going on during this week after Halloween. And they, you know, you find this stuff a few days after the sacrifice has taken place. And so there is this close association then with Halloween and the ancient pagan festival. And so with that going on, how is a Christian supposed to respond? How should we be involved or should we be involved at all? And so what I thought, this immediately brought to my mind a passage in the New Testament that talks about eating food sacrificed to idols. Because here you are, once again, talking about something that is attached to a pagan religious, uh, religious festival of some kind. And uh, so if you read in Revelation chapter 2, I'm going to read that for you and uh, kind of build my case based on this. This is what the Bible says. And Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, is speaking, and he says, but I have this against you. So Jesus is not pleased. He's talking to the church here, and he's saying this. I have this against you, this particular church, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice. Now, you ready? sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. And so what Jesus is saying, this is a terrible thing. If he doesn't get taken care of, there's going to be problems for you. And I'm not going to get into the rest of that. Come to next, my next message on Revelation. We'll cover it in detail. But nonetheless, this is a problem. And it is existing during the time of the early church. And what happens is they have pagan uh, worship feasts and festivals, and they bring in all kinds of calves and cows and bulls and sheep and goats. And, you know, you've seen the picture of satanic rituals with goat horns and things like that and chickens, all kinds of stuff. And they bring it into the temple area and they have the sacrifice because they want to drink the blood and do the other things affiliated with the, with the pagan ritual. And then at the end of the day, they have all this leftover meat. They have these, some of these things have just had their their throats slit, but they didn't really get butchered. So all the butchers from the local town go to the back of the temple, the pagan temple, and they buy the meat on a discount. And once they get the meat on a discount, they work all night, they cut it all up, and they put it on the shelves for the next morning. And then what happens is you can get that meat a lot cheaper than if you would get it normally butchered. So these big festival opportunities are opportunities to kind of load up and get a lot of meat and have your own kind of parties at home and things like that. But it has been sacrificed to an idol. And so there were, there were Christians going along and they were buying these things in the marketplace. And it was creating a issue of conscience. In other words, a conflict in the local church. Just like Halloween has these associations with pagan rituals, the occult and you know, demonic worship. Well, this had all that going on too. And so Paul has to address it and he addresses it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And this is what he says. He says, therefore, my beloved, flee idolatry, 1 Corinthians 10, 14, verse 15. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? In other words, when we go through a religious ritual like taking communion, there's a real fellowship going on between us and Christ. There's a spiritual connection taking place. It's not just sort of some tradition that has no real substantial uh, spiritual uh, meaning 
It's, it, it actually is a connection, a unique kind of connection that you make with Christ. It's a spiritual experience. It goes beyond just, you know, like training at the weights. There's nothing spiritual about that. You're just working your body out. Totally different. And so he goes on to say this. He goes in, verse, in the next phrase, the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? There is some sort of special spiritual connection when we take communion. That's a value of it. And many theologians call it a means of grace. It's one of the ways that God grows us spiritually. Verse 17, but there is one bread, and we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So he's saying, and so when we actually eat the bread and take the cup, we are in fellowship and in connection, a religious connection with Christ and each other. That's the point of the bread. We are of the same body. We are the same body of Christ. And there's a spiritual connection to the other Christians who are in that place when that takes place. And so you notice when you go to a communion service and it was a meaningful communion service, you feel closer to everyone there. A spiritual and emotional connection is made through this worship experience. And so he says this, consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? In other words, even the Jews, when they were doing their animal sacrifices, it was more than just killing an animal like a butcher would. It was an actual spiritual uh, experience that they had, which connected them to their God and to their community. It has real meaning and it has spiritual significance and connection. So he's drawing a parallel between the pagan acts of worship and the biblical acts of worship, saying they are accomplishing the same things, but in different ways, in the sense that there's other people, other things involved. And so the problem became, what do we do with this meat sacrificed to idols? So he goes on in verse 23 and says this, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. You should probably put that across the doorpost of your house <laughs> just before you leave. All things are, are lawful, but not all things are profitable or helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. In other words, as Christians, we're free to do whatever we want, generally speaking, as long as we don't disobey the Bible. But that doesn't mean everything that we do is helpful and that it's going to be encouraging and build up other people. So verse 24, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. He goes, so this, this problem that you have in the church about eating this meat sacrificed to idols, you can't just discount it like it has no spiritual significance whatsoever. And secondly, it also has an impact on the fellowship and the local congregation and the other Christians. It impacts their lives as well because they're watching what you're doing. So there's these two issues that are, arise as a result of participating in this pagan festival of eating this meat. So he says in verse 25 these words, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. <laughs> In other words, when you get there, don't say, hey, did you get this on discount over at the temple the other day after they had the sacrifice? Because if you do that, then you might violate your conscience. So don't ask. Don't even ask. So if you're one of the people who say, listen, I think that Halloween is a pagan satanic festival and I want my family nothing to do with it. Don't go to your friend and go, are you going to Halloween? Don't ask them so that you don't violate your conscience or get yourself into a conflict. Avoid that conversation. That's what he's saying very clearly. Now, we're going to go further, and hang on. I got some more information for you. Verse 26, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. In other words, don't say, hey, hey I'm glad you had us over for dinner, and we have steaks. 
You didn't get this at the market, did you? Because if you did, we're not eating. We're leaving. I can't believe it. And you got a big mess going on. He says, don't ask. Just shut up. Why does he say that? How can he say that? When the Bible says, Jesus says, you are eating food sacrificed to idols. This is not okay. So there's a commentator who's highly respected who wrote the uh, commentary on the book of Revelation by the name of Beale. And Beale in there found a guy who did a comprehensive evaluation of that phrase, meat sacrificed to idols. It's only one word in the Greek language. And he studied every usage in the New Testament as well as in the pagan world at that time. And his name is Ben Weatherington III. And he's also a Christian scholar of the first rate. And he's written a commentary on every single book in the New Testament. So he pretty much knows how to do his homework. And this is what he said that he discovered. And this is Beale making the reference to Witherington. And he says this, Dr. Ben Witherington III has now shown that all uses of the Greek word ideolutheon, which is that word, meat sacrificed to idols, every usage of that word in the New Testament, including the first Corinthians passages, refers to, quote, meat sacrificed to and eaten in the presence of an idol or in the temple precincts as an act of worship, end quote. And that's in his uh, journal article he wrote, so, Not So Idle Thoughts About Idolatry. Anyways, my point is this. The reason it is okay for those guys to eat the meat that sacrificed the idols is if and only if they aren't eating it as part of a worship service experience. And that's why in Revelation, he attaches it to the immorality because in those days, the festivals were always accompanied with sexual immorality. They were sexual festivals as part of the ancient rituals. That's why there were so many eager participants if they were pagans. They get a twofer. And they'll, so what he's saying is you can't do that. If, the, if you are eating it as an act of worship, it's completely unacceptable. But if you don't even, if you didn't do that, you just bought it on the cheap because you were able to get it cheap, then go buy it, eat it, and enjoy it. Don't ask because if your neighbor comes over and they're wondering if you got meat sacrificed to idols, I don't know, I didn't ask. And then you don't create unnecessary conflict with your neighbor. And that's Paul's greater concern in this passage. Let me read further what he says as he continues to talk about this. He says this, he says, If one of the unbelievers asks you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. So a non-Christian comes over, he doesn't really care. Uh, he's hosting you, he doesn't care. So don't even ask him, don't get into a tit uh, for tat on that. Just move on, enjoy the, field, the meal. Then he says this, verse 28. He says, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. And I do not mean your conscience, but his. In other words, if they say, hey, 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 you can't eat that. Your Christian friends say, you can't eat that. It was offered to idols. You know you can, but they don't know you can. And you don't want them to violate their conscience by watching you do it. Now, how is that violating their conscience? Here's how it violates their conscience. If they believe it's wrong and you do it anyways, they're confused. So they think maybe they're wrong and they should be able to participate too. So as a result, they go ahead and participate and they get home and they feel guilty. 
Then they feel like they let God down. They violated their commitment to, to serve Christ only. They're all confused. You have, quote, stumbled them. They went and did what you did, but they weren't mature enough in the faith to handle it. So as a result, they got themselves into a downward spiral of feeling guilty about everything. And the next time they see you, they don't know whether they're mad at you, whether they're unforgiving, whether bitterness has been started. And now you have a schism starting in the church because they're going to talk to their friends and say, is it okay to eat sacrificed idols? Because, you know, Kent over there, he was eating it. And I'm not so sure that's so. And now we have gossip starting. This whole thing becomes a catastrophe. So his whole point is, if someone points it out to you, then obviously they have a weak conscience. They don't feel free to do it. Then don't tell them. Just go, okay, I'll pass. And so if you have a friend who you know, we don't do Halloween, then what you say is, oh, wow. Well, I'll be sure not to do Halloween anywhere in your neighborhood with my kids. We're going to have to go to Beverly Hills where the candy's even better anyways. But the point is, <laughs> you don't put it in their face because it forces them to be judgmental and it can provide an opportunity for them to stumble. He says, don't do that. And so he goes on and says this in verse 30, at verse 29, he says, I do not mean your conscience, but his, for why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? I don't live the freedom in Christ based on what you think my freedom ought to be. It's between me and God and my understanding of his word. And that's where I'm responsible for my liberty, but I don't get to just flout it. And so he goes on to say, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of that for which I give thanks. In other words, I'm grateful to God for it. And the Bible says in 1 Timothy that if I bless the meal and I'm grateful for it, all things are clean to the believer. So you can have it. You can have shellfish even. You can have whatever you want as long as you're grateful for it. So he's saying well, you can't really judge someone if they're grateful for it. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God and give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but, that, but the advantage of many that they may be saved. So his whole point is, listen, if you haven't participated in a religious ritual, which included the sacrifice of meat to idols, then it's okay for you to eat the meat. You have that freedom in Christ. If your conscience allows you, you're free to do that. If it would stumble an unbeliever, then don't participate. If you're at an unbeliever's house and he's serving meat, don't ask him if he got it at the temple because then it could create a schism and then the gospel is compromised because you had a kind of a negative conflict and, and uh, conversation about the meat in their house and they're being hospitable. And if it's a weak Christian, you're either going to stumble them or cause them to judge you. So you just go along with wherever their conscience at, it's kind of meet them where they're at and move on beyond that. So based on that, I put together some thoughts or suggestions I would recommend, stuff that I try to live by personally. Hopefully it's helpful for you. The first is this, if your conscience allows you to participate and you can do so in a way that honors God, go ahead and participate. If that's how you feel about Halloween. Number two, if you're going to participate, I would encourage Christian parents to avoid costumes that represent or glorify evil or evil beings or forms of supernatural evil or even human evil, like a mask with an ax on the forehead and blood dripping down, etc. You're glorifying a, an act of violence. Avoid those things. This, now, if you choose to move forward and your conscience is clear, go ahead. But this is just helpful hints from Pastor Kent deductions from what we looked at here. Why? We're concerned about how this might affect other kids and it might affect other Christians and even non-Christians. We could scare them. You see little kids scared all the time on Halloween. Be careful. You don't want to be the people that are doing that. Number three, this is a great opportunity for you to lead as a parent. 
It gives you an opportunity to address a very important issue and a lesson that you can teach them. You can clarify for your children that the reason we participate is that we would be a light shining in the darkness for the glory of God. And we even have a ministry that takes place on Halloween. It's called Light Up the Light. We have a little tent we put out there, and the people serving in the tent are free to put on costumes if they want to meet those specs that we just talked about. We hand out water. We give them little candy. Your goal is to glorify God and to conduct yourself with, not, with no evil and no violence. And so this is an opportunity for you to help your child understand that they can be a light on this day, even though it's a day that has been traditionally associated with evil. Fourth thing I would say, some parents may not want their children participating in Halloween, which is an acceptable Christian option. If you don't want them to participate, you're the parents, you don't have a clear conscience on this, then don't participate. But be careful not to superimpose your beliefs about Halloween on others and then judge them for not conducting their life based on your conscience. That's exactly what Paul said in that passage we read. That would be out of line. Now you're being judgmental, and now you're in sin because you're acting in judgment on other people whose conscience is free to do this. The Bible does not specifically address this issue of Halloween, so it becomes an issue of individual conscience. So teach your children about how to honor the conscience differences of other sincere believers without judging them, putting them down, or, or condemning them in any way. You just say, well, that's what they do, and that's fine. God bless them, and move on. Number five, some parents may want to change the meaning of the holiday by reminding their kids what Protestants have traditionally done by celebrating this under the name of Reformation Day, because October 31st is the day that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses challenging the Catholic Church to defend what he believes were uh, violations of the Bible and the Scriptures and Christian doctrine. And it started what is known as the Protestant Reformation. So as a result of that, many Christians, especially in the Reformed traditions, actually call this Reformation Day. And they dress up like Martin Luther and things like that, and they go door-to-door to get their candy and their goodies. You can do that as well. In my family, it was really simple. My dad said, here's what's going to happen. You dress up, we're going to go to door, and you're going to load up on lots of free candy. And I've already scoped out the neighborhoods where the generosity is the best, and so that's where we're headed. And that's what we did, and we understood that's all there is to this day. And, you know, so I'm dressed up like Superman, and my brother's dressed up like a hobo, and away we go. And it's just a fun deal for the family. That was our decision. You don't have to do that. But you're free to do that if you want. That's my point. And finally, the most important maybe is our obedience to God requires that we carefully consider these things and don't just, you know, swallow them, but consider them in a biblical context. And the whole point of this, this whole podcast, is to hopefully help you think in in terms of a Christian worldview, how do I deal with this issue and any other issues of conscience? Because the fact is, There's nowhere in the Bible that says you can't put on a costume, go door to door, and pick up candy on any day. What if I did that on April 15th and people were handing it out? Would it be okay that day? Well, yes, it would, because the Bible doesn't rule it out. So it becomes one of these issues of conscience, and there's a lot of them in the Christian faith. Or you could say, oh, this person drinks wine, or I drink wine but not whiskey, and here we go down this track. No, these are all issues of conscience. And if you don't have a biblical Bible verse that clearly eliminates and excludes the, uh, the practice, then you have freedom of conscience and you're accountable to God for it. And remember, our whole goal 
is to whatever we do, whether we eat or we drink, do all to the glory of God. And that's what the lesson of Halloween is. If you can have a Halloween celebration that does that, more power to you. God bless you, and thanks for tuning in today.